Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. I'm Cody. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, what we do tonight is, is we do Christmas Eve, right? And Christmas Eve is, is like the high point of the beginning of the Christian year or the Christian calendar. And uh, for the last four weeks, we've spent our time in Advent. And Advent is a word that means coming. And so we celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ. And then we also look towards his second coming. The first coming, he came as one that laid down his life, as Christ, as the Lamb, and he will return again as King. And so what we did is we looked at different characters. We looked at uh, different people that experienced the birth of Jesus because uh, Jesus, like he wasn't born like on a, on a movie screen or on a, or on a, a set of a, of, a, of a play or something like that. He was born like right in the midst of real life. And so there was people that experienced that. So we looked at, we actually looked at people. We looked at animals that experienced this and journeys and all sorts of things. And so tonight we actually want to look at the birth of Jesus from the viewpoint of, of a lamb. Okay. So as we're going to read the story, as we walk through the story of the shepherds today, um, you know, lambs, they probably would have followed along with the shepherds uh, that they went to go see the baby Jesus. So maybe a few sheep or lambs would follow along and, and uh, I can't do it justice, nor will I try to uh, interpretive dance it or something, but uh, you know, lambs are known to skip or to hop. And uh, they, if they sense excitement or they sense joy, they'll do that. So they probably sense the excitement of the shepherds as they walked and they, or maybe they ran to, to Bethlehem to be able to find the newborn King Jesus. And so it tells us that we could be childlike on Christmas, you know, in the midst of all the adulting that we're having to do. Anybody tired of adulting? Right. I mean, if, if you, you know, if the last couple of years haven't done it to you, I don't know what will, but just all the pressure of all the things and all the decisions that have to be made and all the, all the stuff we have to remember and do this, don't do that. And, uh, you know, it's just so much. So I want us to settle into the fact that Jesus invites us to be childlike this Christmas, right? We spend all of our lives trying to grow up and be right and, and do that. But he invites us to be childlike tonight. And so that's what we're going to focus on. Um, the announcement that we do, right? Like we're going to read this passage and it's going to talk about joy. And it's going to talk about a great joy for this, for all people. And <clears throat> it's an announcement that's been happening for 2000 years, just not on Christmas night, but it's an announcement that happens all throughout the year. And the reason that the main announcement about Jesus is one of joy is because Jesus brings something that's greater than our greatest pain and our greatest pleasure, which is a substance of something, a substance of life that can handle absolutely everything. That it's an even though joy. It's a, even though I, this didn't go right, or even though I didn't reach my goal, or even though I lost my job, or even though this relationship failed, or even though this happened, or even though my team didn't go to the big game, or even though all of these things you walk through and you say, even though I have joy, that's the type of joy that we get through Jesus Christ. And so that's why it's such a big deal. Because it's not relying upon the circumstances of life. That's what God does in our hearts. And so let's read together. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 20 is what we're going to look at. And, and Luke is a doctor. So the details that he puts in here are just so good. He's an incredible writer. And so let's read together. At the time of the Roman emperor, 
at, the, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancee, who was now uh, obviously pregnant. And while they were there, <clears throat> the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first son, first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Now, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see the things that, it, that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So what Luke is doing is he's, he's announcing the real savior. We look back and we have information that this has been an event that happened in history, but Luke is letting people know of his time within you know a, a couple decades or so of this actually happening. Hey, here's how this happened. And uh, some details are, is that uh, there was, there's records that show that there was a census taken, but it wasn't just a census that you would go back to where you were born or where your relatives were from. But the census was, is that you would have to go where you own property. And so also there's pottery artifacts that show that there was a migration of people from Bethlehem to Nazareth during this time. And so, so Joseph and his family may have moved just in the past five, 10 years to Nazareth from Bethlehem. And so now he has to go back there because he probably was a property owner still. So you would be called back to where you own property, which makes it all, you know, the stranger that when they got there, there wasn't a place for them to stay because they were actually property owners there. So when it says that there wasn't any room for them, like you've heard no room in the inn, we talked about this last Sunday. Um, the, when it says there, there was no lodging, it actually speaks of uh, an upper room area. Like if you've read the Bible and you look and it talks about in the New Testament that they were in the upper room. Uh, most of the homes would have an upper room, a main living area, and then a lower room. So Mary, Joseph, and Jesus ended up in the lower room. In the lower room, uh, there are traditions that it was a cave kind of behind somebody's home. I think probably that it was the lower room where many times you would keep animals uh, when there was inclement weather to protect them. That's why there was a manger there. 
It would have been uh, a stone, uh, you know, really a feeding trough is what it is. And that's where Jesus was laid. And so the angels showing up uh, has always been a cue throughout scripture that, that like something big is happening. They would announce that, hey, this is God is doing something really big and you need to pay attention. They didn't want any doubt to be, to be known about that. But what Luke is doing is he's really doing a tale of the tape. If you know that term, it's a boxing term. It's a, it's a term for UFC or for wrestling or any of those things. And a tale of the tape is, is um, it's really for, for show because they could just check, hey, make sure that these guys are in the same weight class. Make sure that these guys are in the same, you know, they should be able to be fighting each other in those things. But a tale of the tape is, is, is like, you know, in this corner, you know, kind of before the match, you, you have him and he weighs this much and he's this tall and he has this many wins and this many losses and this many knockdowns and those things. And they're trying to show that these guys should be fighting each other. But what Luke is doing is he's actually showing Caesar Augustus, who everyone says by appearance had brought peace to the world. How'd that work? Right. You, you know, but it was Pax Romana. It was really the absence of war. And so it wasn't real lasting peace. And uh, Caesar would be called Lord and Savior. Uh, when they would have a party that Caesar would go to, uh, people would say, or an event that he did, they would call it good news. So Luke, what he does is he takes the terms that are used for Caesar and he lines them up with this other person, Jesus, the true Savior of the world. And he shows that these two don't even belong in the same class. You see, Caesar wanted to have power. He wanted to have status. He wanted to have position and prestige. But in reality, he shouldn't even be in the same court with Jesus. And you look at it, though, at this point, though, and, and you say, you know, well, if, if God, the true Savior, is coming into the world and doing this, I mean, it shouldn't it be some fantastic scene. You know, wouldn't he be in some big palace somewhere, but instead he's in a lowly manger. And that's just the way God works. You know, the Bible says that his ways are different than ours. And God always takes the measurements that we have and the measurements that we use. And then he turns them upside down so that we can see it differently. You know, I mean, a lot of people would say, well, God doesn't make sense. Yeah. He doesn't make sense as far as us. Many times he does things differently. That's why we pay attention when things are different. And so Jesus, the true and lasting savior was entering the world in verse 11. It told us the savior. Yes. The Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And so by all historical and factual accounts, if you look at Caesar Augustus, or you look at any powerful person throughout all history, you will see that they don't add up to Jesus. You will see that they had appearance in their life. You'll see that they had something, but it didn't last. Like what they did, their power, their status, their position didn't last. And yet there's Jesus. And it would make sense that Jesus is the true savior of the world. It makes sense that this baby would become one that would do things that would change all of history. I mean, something in the two to three billion range right now, people that are alive have some association with Jesus Christ. Maybe not all have a relationship with him, but they have at least some association where they're learning about Jesus within the Christian religion. And then you add all the people for 2000 years that have done that as well. And then you add up to the fact that <clears throat> the Christian faith is not built just upon faith, 
right? For hundreds and thousands of years before, we have the Hebrew scriptures, which actually told when this birth of the Messiah would happen, told what he would do and told also how he would live. And then also told how he would die and what he would do it for. And so it's based upon fact that you can actually look at history and say, this happened not only when, but where Micah tells that it would happen in Bethlehem. And so it's this incredible picture that we see. And, you know, don't feel bad about Caesar Augustus. You know, he's not the only one that wants status and power and position in life. I mean, we do too, right? You know, we want to, we want to do well and, and we want to, you know, have power in the right ways and, and, and those things. And we, you know, we want to make it and all those things, but, um, but Caesar like pushed everybody down around him and, and it, he would do anything to get that. And, and he would sacrifice anything and anybody to get that. And, and we get that sometimes too, don't we too? You know, we're going to get ours and it doesn't matter, you know, what happens to other people. And so the disciples of Jesus struggle with this too. They actually near the end of the life of Jesus, where he sat there telling him how he would die and how he would lay down his life willingly, not as a victim they would actually have arguments about when he came into his kingdom, the kingdom of God, about who would be the most powerful, who would have the best status within that. And so one of these times they actually um, asked him, you know, like, Hey, who's going to be the, the greatest in your kingdom, me or him, or can I be this spot? And this is Jesus's response. The response was this is that um, in Matthew 18, verse three through four, It says, I tell you the truth. You're going to have to skip Jackson. Um, I'll tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, um, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus pulls this child in and Jesus would always show signs. He would, he would lay like do parables. In other words, he would lay something down alongside something else so you could compare it. And so Jesus is comparing. He's saying, Hey, you guys want to be the greatest and you want to be the greatest in the kingdom. So let me show you how I want you to be. And if you're this way, then you will be the greatest. So he brings a little child in there, but here's the thing. We look at it like, that's cool. We can learn from that. But Everybody, it would have been a collective, huh? Like amongst the disciples and amongst the, amongst the people, because children had zero power. They were loved and valued amongst the Jewish culture, but they had zero power. They were completely reliant upon their parents. And so when Jesus pulled a child in there and said, be like this, He pushed against them completely and said like, Hey, actually I need you to approach this completely, totally reliant upon me. No power of your own, no power of yourself. I like the way, um, uh, Craig Keener, he's a theologian. He says, Jesus says the kingdom belongs to the nobodies. Those who don't approach it on the merits of their own status. You know, that's how children approach the good news of Jesus. They don't approach it on their own status to say, oh, great news. Right? You know, the simple song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The simplicity of it. So the totally powerless can depend on no one but God. And that's why Jesus brought the child in to show 
what it was really like for them, what we can really have. So this is what this is, though. So we see the birth of Jesus. Like, did God just do that so that Jesus would live like a a whole life like everyone else? Because I suppose that God, Jesus, the son of God, could have just entered in as a man, like full grown man. Because his actual ministry of actually doing stuff that was recorded is actually just three years. Like you ever have a three-year goal? Pretty big one. Look what he did in just three years. Transform all of history in the world. But the rest of the time he was living a life just like you and I. But I think that in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we just don't see what God accomplished in him and through him, but we also see a hint, or not even a hint, it's just clear, of the life that God calls you and I to. A life of actually becoming like children again. That when we interact with God, when we interact with Jesus, he actually calls us to that. We see it right here, actually. Like, what an interesting way to say, like, when I talk about repenting of sins, repent of your sins and become like a child. That's interesting. So Jesus said this later on. He said in John, or um, in another book, it's recorded in the gospel of John, John chapter one, verse 12. It says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So this speaks of status for sure, but it also speaks of a quality of life. So think about little children. Little children let you know that they need you. Uh, This was like the biggest stress point when Michelle and I were about to have our our first child, Wyatt, is is I had this stress meltdown. I'm like, well, how do I know? Like, because we were trying to figure out like the layers that they sleep in. You know, I know for you guys, this is all easy, but I was like, well, what if we put on too many layers and what if he's hot? How will he tell us, you know, or or what if he's too cold? How will, how will he tell us? And just kind of had a meltdown. And then I realized they just scream their head off and then you just do whatever, you know, like what, what, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, okay, that worked, right? What do they need? But little children let you know what they need. But then think about, you know, as we get older, what happens? Like, Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm, I'm great, man. I'm doing good. Good to see you. How are you? Oh, great. Good. Doing good. Yeah. No problems. Yeah. Life is good. How are you? Great. Great. And yet, why don't we tell people many times how we're doing? You ask a little kid how they're doing like, I'm mad. Why? They took my thing. Right? See, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? What, what's happening with you? I had to read again in school. Well, you're right. They just tell you, right? They're honest. And that's why kids say amazing things, right? That bring us laughter and all those things. Little children give hugs when someone needs them. Like if you watch, kids will give hugs to one another. They, they notice, they recognize it. And, and yet these barriers get up as we get older. Little, little children will dance when music comes on. No joke. When I was a kid, I loved to dance. Music would come on. I mean, it was on. Like, so in my house growing up, my mom would put, uh, like we country family. And so uh, we had, uh, we'd put on like Willie Nelson, old country music and stuff. And then, and then we went and saw the play Annie. So we played that a lot. You know, it's a hard knock life. 
for, you know, and you guys know that. Okay. And, you know, and just, uh, the sun will come out tomorrow and just, oh man. And music would come on. I'd sing and dance and all those things. And just as a little kid, I just loved to dance. But then middle school happened. And, you know, my brother was the best dancer in all of middle school. Right. And so it was the dance. I'm in seventh grade. He's in eighth grade. And all of a sudden they're like, Hey, Cody, dance, dance like your brother. And so I dance and they're like, it was like the whole thing stopped and all of a sudden the, the, and they're just all looking at me and like literally, so I, I, I went out and cried. It was just so bad. But how is life like that? That, that kids can just, you can just dance and sing and do that. But then all of a sudden life is such that it's like, well, no, that's not fun or anymore. That's not good anymore. Now you have to go into this. And I know people are skilled and have certain things. And I know there's certain things, but things like that, shouldn't it just be that you're just having fun? So little children get that. Little children laugh. So the average four-year-old laughs 300 to 400 times a day. Guess how many the average 40-year-old? Four. Study after study after study. Michael Pritchard, he's a speaker and youth motivator. He says, you don't stop laughing because you grow old. You grow old because you stop laughing. You know, um, when, when I was a youth pastor, in my twenties, uh, we used to play this, the ha ha game. You ever play the ha ha game? Yeah. Put your hand up if you play the ha ha game. Yeah. So we are not going to play the ha ha game in here right now. Okay. But it's just, so you lay, you lay a bunch of youth together and you put your head on somebody else's stomach and you go around and you have to go ha. And then the other person goes ha ha. And then, and, and it's, and you have to try to do it without laughing. It's hysterical because it just spreads and you start laughing, but it's, it's more difficult the older you are because you don't laugh as much. So in Jesus, God is calling us to be his children. Think about it. These are the things that we really want in life. And these, what children, these are what children have. Uh, simplicity, contentment. Uh, children are humble in heart. Children are teachable. Te- uh, children have an innocence. Children are not good at deceiving. Right? Ch- children, they're terrible at deceiving. Like if you ever want to see like a, like a, like a two-year-old, like it, it is fastest pace ever, ask him what he has in his mouth. Right? He just, right? I'm out of here. Right? Because he's like, he's not going to put, I don't have anything in my mouth. He's just going to take off. He doesn't want to give it to you. They're terrible at deceiving. They don't want to deceive you. And yet we somehow learn to do that in life. They're forgiving. Right. I mean, I learned that pretty quick. I mean, as a dad, I, I made so many mistakes as a dad. And I remember, you know, I'd say things or do things or, um, you know, I mean, just any number of things and just, and, or not pay attention to them. And I feel convicted and I'm just like, oh man, what am I going to do? And God's just like, well, you know, just go to him. And, and, and I found that, that children are incredibly forgiving. There wasn't once that they said, no, I'm not going to forgive you. And then the playfulness of kids, right? Just playfulness. Children are playful. And yet somehow as we get older, we think that we're not supposed to be playful. Uh, one person equated child, childlikeness to, to be the ability to be present, right? That's been my, like my goal for the last 15 years. Keep writing it down. Be present. Be present with the people that you're with. And I've gotten better, but it's hard. Uh, children are trusting. Children are dependent upon God ultimately. And so these are all things that we want. Now, here's the thing. Um, there's always a, a childlike faith objection. 
Okay. Uh, because some people hear this and they look at Christianity and say, see, this is what Christianity is like. Look, I have to just like check my brain at the door and I just have to believe all this stuff. And I can't really bring my thinking to it. I'm just supposed to just believe simply just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, have you ever been around like a three or four year old or even a little bit older? Like, do they ask questions? Right? They ask so many questions and they're so curious. They want to know so many things. So it has to do with that too. God wants us to bring all of our questions, all of our doubts, all of our fears, all of our objections, all of those things. And he says, come on, bring it, bring it on. Bring all of it to me. He wants us to bring all of that. C.S. Lewis, an author that I enjoy, he says, uh, for us, God wants a child's heart, but a grown-up's head. He wants us to be simple, single-minded, affectionate, and teachable as good children are. But he also wants every bit of intelligence we have to be alert at its job and in a first-class fighting trip. So children receive the blessing of Jesus without trying to make themselves worthy of it. There's not performance with it. It's like, Jesus loves me? All right. And so that's what we're called to. We need to receive God's blessings the same way. You know, and, and like you guys, I mean, this, this season, there's so much busyness. And I have been running around just so much to do. Just, man, it's, it's incredible. I mean, part of me is really impressed by me. You know, I'm like, wow, man, I've done it all. I haven't slept in four days, but I've got it all done. And it's almost exactly the way I want it, right? No, I mean, not really. But that's how you feel this time of year, right? You're just running around and getting it all together and doing these things. And so like I had a moment yesterday, I was heading here. I had, I had so much to do. Um, and my oldest son came home, he's from college and he's walking the dog and you, you could just tell, like I saw like the little boy, I saw the little boy, like the five, six year old boy in him. And, I'm, and he's walking up and he's got the dog and he's just got his dog, a boy and his dog. And he's like, Hey dad. You know, and, and, uh, um, and he's a lot bigger than me now too. He could like take me down maybe. So I keep, I, I actually can still beat him in arm wrestling. So just, yeah, no problem. No problem. It's, it's, it's because he doesn't think he can do it. I think he can, but yeah, so I still have it, but he goes up and he's like, Hey dad, what's going on? And I see this look on his face. Cause I'm just like dialed in. I'm like, I got to get here. I got to do these things. And it, and I could just tell that look on the face because he's my, he's my son. He's my child. And he's just like, ah. Oh. Dad's in that like freak out, got to get a million things done mode. Got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go. And as I get in the car to drive here, I'm like, my heart kind of sank. And I'm like, you know what? I want to be like that. And the Lord's like, hey, that'd be something good to talk about that you've been studying and looking at this for two weeks. Be kind of good if you, if you embodied that. Like, okay. So I'm just like, I don't know how. What do I do? I need to calm down here. And so I'm sitting back here in the office area and all of a sudden I'm listening just to some songs and stuff. And um, this song carry me came on by need to breathe. And John Foreman from Switchfoot sings on it. And, and it hit me. I said, you know, another thing that little children do is they let you carry them. Right. I mean, you remember when you're little and you fall asleep in the car, you know, or you act like you fell asleep in the car, you know, and your parents pick you up and bring you into the house. Oh man, that's the best. You know, it's for, it's for, it's for, it's to, it's for, to let somebody carry you. 
And so I, I heard this song and I said, carry me. And I said, this is it. But this line stood out to me in this because, you know, we have a lot of uh, things in the way and, and this is what it's like. It says, this song goes like this. I found a place where the past was forgiven, where my mistakes met a grace I couldn't earn. And so I pile up my excuses and defenses in the night. Then I lit a match, step back and watch them burn from the river's mouth to the mountain peak through the great divide where the waters meet. I need you to carry me. And it was just those excuses and defenses that stood out to me. My excuses and my defenses keep me from being childlike. My excuses and my defenses, you know, I I have so many things to do, or I have to do this, or I have to do that. And all the while, Jesus is like, hey, you know, the way this works is, is as you become childlike, I actually help you out. Is you actually like, let me, you know, like surrender to me. And yeah, I mean, you still got to do stuff, but I actually help you out. And that's, so that's how it works. And so asking Jesus to carry you is just like this beautiful picture of something you will do over and over again in relationship with him. But there's also, there's also like a first time. And it's a great picture of that, of saying, you know what? I, I, I surrender my life to you, God. Will you carry me? Like not in this moment, in this thing, this thing that I'm struggling with, but like, will you take my whole life, God? I did that as a 15 year old. I had never been to church before. I went on this, I went on this church ski trip and went on this thing and, and, um, and people shared with me the things I'm sharing with you. And I'm like, oh, wow. And they had a lot of motivation because I was like messed up. I was like that kid saying all the wrong things. Like, how did this kid get on this trip? You know? So they had a lot of motivation. We need to get this guy saved. This guy needs a lot of help. And, you know, over, over 30 years now of following Jesus and finding out that he's true, finding out that he's loving, finding out that he's good. And while I can get super serious about things and all sorts of things, I found that what he wants over and over again is just, I would trust him, let him carry me. And so that's what I want to offer you guys is to become childlike this Christmas to become childlike with your life though, too. And Jesus doesn't just say, go do it. He says, I went first, right? God in all of his glory and all of his comfort and all of his contentment and all of his things says, God, the son says, I will go become one of them and make the way and make things right between God and man. Right? I mean, we get upset when like somebody knocks on our door and we're in our favorite chair watching the game. Right? Like, oh man, I've just sit down. I got my food. I'm sitting here. Everything's right. It's so good. I got the remote and ding dong. It's like, no, I hope they go away. But God doesn't need people, doesn't need anything, all these things, but he knows that things need to be right. And so he becomes one of us. And he says, I've went first, now you. And so is throughout all history is the person that would trust in Jesus Christ would be the one that would be made new, would be the one that is a new creation. It says that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. That the old life, anything you've ever done, everything that you're ashamed of, anything you feel guilty of, anything that holds you down, anything that keeps you up at night, any failures, any destruction that you've done, that it says that if you Trust in Jesus Christ that you are a new creation, that that old is gone and you're a new creation. That when God looks at you, he doesn't see the things you've done, but he looks and looks at the righteousness of Jesus. What a trade. The perfect life of Jesus. This little baby became one that would do all of that. That's why it's a big deal. 
because he came, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay for your sins and my sins. He defeated death itself, rose from the grave, went to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit. This little baby did all of that. And so what will you do? If you know him tonight, will you let him carry you more? Will you give more of yourself to him? If you've never given your, your life to Jesus Christ, will tonight be the night? Will you surrender? Will you say, yes, carry me, God? Let's pray together. Just so while we're praying, if that's you, if you want Jesus to carry your life, if you want to know him, then pray this prayer after me, just in the quietness of your heart. Lord, come into my life. I am in need of a Savior. I ask you to wash me and cleanse me and make me new. I believe that you died for my sin and that you rose again from the dead. So now fill me with new life by your Spirit. I now make you Savior and Lord of my life. And so just while we're praying in this moment, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If, if, if that's you, you prayed that prayer you know, for the first time and you're saying, yes, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Would you carry me? I want to be able to pray for you after tonight. So I'm, I'm, just look up at me. Let your eyes meet mine. I'm going to pray for you. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Yep. See you in the middle. Yes, God bless you. Thanks for your courage. God bless you. And over here, yeah, God bless you. God bless you, yeah. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you, yes. Thank you for your courage. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, we need you so much. Thank you for these people turn their hearts to you, Lord. We need you so much, God, in our world. We need you, Lord. We're so good at being reliant upon ourselves. We need you. So I pray for these who turn their hearts towards you and for all of us that, that the childlikeness that comes from being cared for by you would open up in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So if that's you tonight, tell somebody. You know, and, and there's a card in front of you. Take that card and write on there your decision. There's a New Testament over there. But begin seeking after him. Begin seeking after him in your life. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com. 